It's often claimed that doctrine divides, but love is the thing that unites. And the idea is there, there is that insisting that something is true will put a wall between you and others who might disagree, I suppose. And so what you really ought to do is set aside what you believe and just love people. And the Bible shows us that that claim is garbage. Right, indeed, truth creates, cements, and cultivates people's love for one another. Doctrine is not divisive, but is indeed the gelling agent that causes love to bind people together permanently and well in the Lord Jesus. And here in Paul's letter to the Galatians, two themes throughout have held our attention, haven't they? The the fellowship of the church and faith unto justification. Fellowship and faith, that's our series title here, and the doctrines of the church and of salvation. Those are this letter's two intertwined main points. In the first big we summarized just a moment ago already, Paul recounted the true nature of the church, namely that that divinely revealed gospel is the proper foundation of apostolic authority, not some supposed connection to one preeminent regional church like the one in Jerusalem where the false teachers came to be from. And then, transitioning, Paul argued that God has always dealt with his people through faith alone, whereas the conditions of keeping the the Mosaic ceremonial law had, had caused divisions among the Galatians, Paul leveraged this true doctrine of salvation by grace alone to, with the purpose of restoring their fellowship. Right? In other words, the Galatians, they had departed from doctrine, fracturing their community, abandoning not insisting on doctrine had caused these problems, had caused these divisions. And so Paul laid an extensive theological foundation of justification by faith alone, not just to be right, but to restore fellowship and love. So the issue at stake is twofold. Love among Christians and the gospel's purity. And in Galatians 4, 12 to 20, Paul highlighted how doctrine brings people together, making thought about God, theology itself, a practical issue of joining God's people in grounded love. Paul's story about how he first came to the Galatians challenges us to think about our relationship with other Christians. And so our main point today, our main point is that the gospel of pure grace forms us to love one another well. The gospel of pure grace forms us 
to love one another well. We're going to think about this in three points. Truth, trials, and tables. Truth, trial, and tables. And so first, let's let's think together about truth. Now, if you're keeping up with kind of the letter as we go uh, through Galatians, maybe you can see already, even just having read this little portion, why every commentator finds it difficult to understand how this set of verses fits into the rest of the letter. Most of our, our recent sermons in Galatians were about the relationship between the Abrahamic and Mosaic covenants, right? As, as Paul argued from both the content and the chronology of these two covenants, that the promise of salvation by grace alone took priority to the demands of the Mosaic law. This, this second covenant had a different function than adding a condition for your salvation. And so, people were always right with God by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And the point, of course, is that so far, some of that has been some dense, difficult stuff. But then we come to our portion. And all, all of a sudden, Paul drops in this story about how he first met the Galatians. And interesting though, interestingly though, it, it's not a full transition to a more personal and practical section of this letter because he again makes another argument about the covenants in verses 21 to 31. So what's going on here? What's up with this personal, emotional interjection within the midst of theological argumentation? I would put it to you that Paul's interruption here happens precisely because theology is personal and emotional. It shapes who we are personally. It should be dear to us. And it should fuel the proper way for us to feel. When you experience something beautiful, a tremendous sunrise viewed across a pristinely reflective lake, well, even just speaking about it moves you, does it not? And Paul's writing about his experience and knowledge of the infinitely beautiful God and the amazing things that he has done for us. And so he was moved. I think to explore that a bit more, we can remind ourselves of some context. What's happening? Why is this first meeting with the Galatians important here? Right. Remember that Galatia is a It's not a town, it's a province where Paul planted churches as described throughout Acts 13 and 14. And in a town called Lystra, as he went about this this province, Paul was stoned by the crowds and thrown out of the city. And then Paul went on to other places. And I think that these injuries 
right? As he was stoned, thrown out of the city, these injuries best explain why Paul said in verse 13, you know that it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. He had been in one city. He was battered with rocks and cast out, had to go somewhere else. And so Galatians is likely these churches listed at the end of Acts 14, which is there on your uh, order of service, where Paul went through several cities after he was stoned in Lystra. And then at the beginning of uh, Acts 15, men come along by uh, imposing circumcision, disrupt the truth in Galatia, prompting Paul to go to the Jerusalem council and write this letter on the way. Right, And so Paul then came to this church first because he'd been injured, and that should, I mean, they didn't know him. That gives them every reason to reject some heavily injured stranger. Why should we take you in? And so the question then is, why, why did they accept him? What, what made such a great relationship that he would even call them his children? In verse 19. Well, it's, it's clear here, isn't it, that they received him so graciously, a, a relationship was built, established, because he taught the truth to them. He came and preached, and they received him. He preached the gospel to them, and they received him as an angel. No, the word angel just means messenger, showing this. I mean, sometimes it refers to kind of a, a supernatural being, but I think here, easily, it's just talking about how the Galatians received Paul as a messenger of God, God's messenger, because he taught them true doctrine. In other words, truth, the doctrine that Paul conveyed, That created this loving relationship. But relationships, these relationships were in trouble, both between Paul and the Galatians, and even amongst themselves, because they had left behind good doctrine. Verse 16, Paul writes, asks them, Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? And so Paul included this emotional, personal interjection here because he was moved by truth. And moreover, moved as he wrote about it to people whom he loved. He was concerned because love had been damaged as they departed from good doctrine. If we, if we can remember back to verses 10 and 11 in Galatians, he explained that his concern for them was that you observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid, right? Here, here he summarizes his actual concern about the implications of that. I am afraid I may have labored over you in vain. They had turned to rituals and to their obedience as the 
basis of being right with God. And Paul is worried that his ministry of proclaiming the true gospel was in vain. And therefore, therefore, in our passage, he exhorted them to be like him. Now, it's always, I think, uncomfortable for Christians to say to one another, well, why don't you just use me as your example? But here there's a pointed reason as he writes, Brothers, I entreat you, be, become as I am, for, for I also have become as you are. Paul had become like the, the Gentiles, right? Meaning he did not observe these ceremonial laws as a condition for being a Christian. And so he hadn't put any sort of boundary, any sort of division between him and them. Well, in that light, they should become like him. In not depending on on rituals, not depending on their obedience to impose things for their relationship with God. Rather, they should seek a right relationship with God by faith alone. And so we see Paul moved emotionally and personally because his friends departed from doctrine that facilitates love and fellowship. They had turned rather to bad doctrine that divided Jews and Gentiles and probably others as well, even amongst themselves. Paul was moved by his reflection on the gospel from from the chapters that had just come before and his arguments there. He was moved by that gospel reflection and and by reflection upon his relationship with what had been the case with these believers. And so we see how truth is moving and truth is the source of stable non-divisive love. And that brings us to our second point. Trials. Right, our, our first reflections there nudge us to think about this chapter's relational dynamics. That's what it's about, right? Is what's happening between Paul and the Galatians. And so let's look together at verses 12 to 15. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. So Paul highly commended, obviously so, highly commended the Galatians for how they treated him when they met. He came battered with injuries and they received him as if he were a messenger directly from God. As, as well as he thinks they would have received 
Jesus Christ himself had he come to their town. So well did the Galatians treat him when he came. Hyperbolically, I think hyperbolically, they would have given their eyes for him. Now Paul's statement here in verse 14 I, I think includes a really interesting contrast which perhaps a more wooden translation of this might highlight. So, so Paul wrote with, with this bodily ailment in mind, right? He's, he's injured, he needs care, and thinking about that, he says in a very, yeah, stark wooden fashion of this verse, and you still not, did not despise or reject your trial in my flesh, but received me as God's messenger, as Christ Jesus. So I, fascinating. I, I think it's fascinating that, that Paul's talking about this as if they did not reject their trial in Paul's flesh. Essentially, what we're getting at here is that Paul admitted to being a trial. I was a burden to you, he says, and, and then he commends them for their response to him as a trial. The truth that he had preached. The truth had prompted a loving response, even if error had later caused them to reject Paul. Now, the thing is, we need to make this more personal. Isn't it easy to think of other believers as a trial to us at times? Right? They, they just don't see things exactly my way. They want to sing different songs in church than I do. They won't serve the church as much as I serve their exhausting conversation partners. They require too much attention and are never satisfied. Right? We, we can easily make a long list of, of reasons why other believers might become a trial to us. And Paul admitted that. He, he didn't push back against the idea itself, but said, I know God gave you a trial in me. And the mark of Christian love is our response when that's the case. The Christian mindset is is not to think that people are never draining, trying, and exhausting, since we also know we should tell the truth. Rather, the Christian mindset is to shower boundless love on people who actually are a trial to us. Christ's words that the way that we treat the least of people are the way that we might be treating him forms the basis of of Paul's thoughts here about receiving even the most burdensome believer as if they were personally God's messenger or even Christ himself. I think that 
This ought to convict most of us. We try to avoid exhausting people, don't we? We read John 9 together, however, because, right, it shows how sometimes people are the way they are, even afflicted, not because of something they've done, but as an opportunity for God's glory and our expression of love. Right? Hospitality is a key part of that issue. Do, do we receive those who are burdensome, those who are trying well, so that God might be glorified in our Christian love? And I think the big question there is what can help us? What can motivate us? to react that way when people are trying. And so that brings us to our third, final point. Tables. So Paul concluded this this section here in verses 19 and 20, writing, My little children, for whom I am again in anguish of childbirth, until Christ is formed in you, I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. Right? He was confused and wished to be with them so that he could switch from rebuke to encouragement. We know the difference in the tone of voice in our parents, right? And that's exactly what he's saying. I would rather use a different tone of voice. And the way that I'm speaking to you, then the way that I'm speaking to you now. And the big payoff in what he's doing here is that he was struggling, feeling the anguish of childbirth again, because his spiritual children were acting in such a way that made him worry, as in verse 11, that his labor among them was in vain. Remember, Right? We have to keep in mind here, and especially as this letter progresses, we have to remember that the practical issue solved by justification by faith alone was that they were no longer eating together. There were divisions. It was an issue about tables. Whereas gospel doctrine had united them in fellowship, well, their legalistic error had divided them. But Paul's hope was to see Christ formed in them. And he was going to worry, he was going to feel feel the struggle of childbirth again, spiritually speaking, until Christ was formed in them. He hoped that his theological explanation of of the history of salvation would convince them to return to the pattern of Abraham, right? Trusting Christ alone for justification. He was convinced that this theology, this doctrine would get them back at the same table and reunite them in Christian love, both together 
and with him. And so, right, we, we take away from this so far the very direct point that it's, it's not that doctrine divides and love unites. It's that everyone has some sort of doctrine and good doctrine creates love and bad doctrine damages it. Even destroys it. Verse 17 and 18 show that false teachers made much of the Galatians so that these believers would follow their error. They would become the prestigious teachers, but they had themselves in mind in that teaching. Wrecking the love between the Galatians and their love for Paul in the process. But Paul simply wanted Christ formed in them. The nature of this letter's exposition of, of sound theology shows the way, shows the way that Christ is formed in us, namely by being built up in good doctrine. And Paul said as much in 1 Timothy 1, verses 3 to 5. He, he wrote, as writing to Timothy, as I urged you that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. And the aim of our charge, right, the charge of proper teaching, listen, this is, this is the, the crucial part, the aim of our charge for proper teaching is love. That issues from a pure heart and a good conscience in a sincere faith. And I think the, the lingering question there is, why does good theology form us in love and Christ-likeness? Isn't that just thinking about stuff? How does that help my heart? Well, though, what is the gospel? And it's, it's news, isn't it? It's, but it's news that you were previously like Paul when he came to the Galatians. Battered and destroyed, but, but Christ received you lovingly and gladly. You were lost in your commitment to godlessness. You were beyond battered and injured, but were dead in sin. All that you could have been to Christ was a trial, a dream. You offered no new benefits to Him. Yet, for the joy set before Him, Christ endured the cross, right? So that He might have you, believer, as his everlasting treasure. The doctrine of total depravity reminds us that we were and to some degree remain terrible people. Knowing, but knowing that about ourselves, right, ought to help us be patient with others 
when they are terrible people, even to us. We're no better. And we need just as much grace as they do. And still, the love of Christ forms, formed in us brings us closer, not simply to God, but to those around us too. Christ gave all that he had to give, his own priceless, sinless, divine life. He died on the cross that he might reconcile us to God. The fundamental premise of the gospel is then reconciliation. We have that reconciliation with God by faith alone as we take hold of the Lord Jesus with all of his work done on our behalf. And so, when we recognize that, that the gospel is about reconciliation, about joining people together, joining us to God, well, knowing the power of faith, knowing the power of faith to bring people together ought to restore our fellowship with each other. It restores our fellowship with God, and so it ought to shape our fellowship with one another as well. God brought sinners to himself and brings sinners together in the church also. The faith, then, creates fellowship. The gospel forms a community. Gospel doctrine doesn't divide, but indeed develops love within us. As God first loved us, enabling us to love him, he causes us to love one another too. And just as Paul leveraged this doctrine of justification by faith alone to get the Galatians eating at the same tables again, well, so too Christ summons all the justified to the Lord's table to dine together. As as we come to this meal in the moments ahead of us, right? We we see the doctrine taught in the book of Galatians, don't we, that Christians of all stripes eat together because we are bound together in the Lord Jesus who has given who has forgiven all of our sins as we take hold of him by faith and he forms us in his likeness to have fellowship with one another. Let's pray. Father God, we we do ask in these moments that your word, for this service in particular, your word as it has been read, as it has been preached, and as it is about to be offered to us in the elements of the supper, that it would shape us in love, for you and for one another. Indeed, that we would see that we need truth 
to be formed in the likeness of Christ. And so we pray that you would bury the truth deeply within us, that you would plant these gospel realities in our hearts, that we might hold on to them, that we might never depart from them as the Galatians did, at least temporarily, that we might never be swayed by error and false teaching. Not just because we want to know what is true and right, certainly we do, but not only because of that, but because we also know that departing these things will lead us away from love. And we want to be loving people. We want to be people who represent the God who is love. And we know we can do so only as as we are shaped, as we are formed with Christ in us. And so we do ask, God, that we would remember what is true, but that it would also have this effect upon our relationships. And so we thank you, God, for the fellowship that we have here at London City Presbyterian Church. We thank you that we see Christians of all types gathered here from all around the world, coming from multiple different backgrounds, not just culturally, but even from different sorts of churches, gathered, though, around your word to hear the presentation of the truth that we might be shaped in better fellowship. And we ask, God, that it would indeed have this effect in us. Build our relationships. We know that we can, even we, can be trying to other people. And we know that others will be trying to us. And so we pray, God, give us grace, give us patience in these moments. Help us to be wise and help us to respond as the Galatians did, with a gospel response, receiving others well. And we know that there are other sorts of relations, not just when we meet someone, not just when people are trying on us, but God, we do pray for all of the crucial relationships here. Amen.